Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. This is the beginning of a new lecture series I'm going to do where I'm going to argue that Christianity is true. This is part one of a 10-part lecture series, and today I'm going to talk about the importance of truth and how that relates to Christianity being true. So, let's begin. If So, section one, we're just going to introduce the project and what's going on here. So, before I get into the slide and what's going on here, I want to say this is going to be part of 10 videos, so this is going to be a playlist, so if you're checking it out, Months after this video is out, there's going to be a playlist down below, Cumulative Case for Christianity, and you can just follow up to part two. But for now, let's dive into it. So Blaise Pascal once said, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. So obviously Pascal's wagers come under a lot of controversy, and we're going to talk about that more towards the end of the series. But all I want you to do here is think about the possibility of knowing God, say you're not a Christian, maybe you're a mere theist um, or an atheist agnostic, something about that. And I'm not even saying like trying to like force you with my, with my hammer, like believe in God, come on, man. Um, but just think about what you could gain if you came to know God, say that you were convinced or that you did commit to believe in God. And there's something really, really, there's something there that we're going to hit at again at the end of this series. If God exists, there's nothing more meaningful than discovering him. God is a perfect being. What would be more valuable than knowing something that's absolutely perfect with no imperfections? So this series is going to serve as my cumulative case for Christian theism. We're going to talk today about truth, and we're going to get into like necessary foundations and looking at arguments from like contingency and design and moral knowledge and limits and so much more. Um, so this is just the beginning of a very exciting series. I hope you stay tuned. The question I want you to think about is, like, would you follow the truth wherever it leads? Islam, atheism, Hinduism, Christianity? I mean, I think for me, I would say yes. I want to follow what's true um, and make and like have beliefs that make the most sense. So I'd encourage you to like have the same mindset. Like if Islam is true, like be, you become a Muslim or if atheism is true, you become an atheist. Um, if Christianity is true, like I think it is, then you'd become a Christian. Hopefully is the point of this. So are you willing to follow the truth wherever it leads, even if it leads to conclusion you don't like? You see, we eat food because it helps us to survive, engage in politics because we want what's best for society, and we should pursue truth because it helps us live out our best life. I think about it this way. I think about truth as like this thing that exists that's like out there, and it's like I should pursue what's true in the way I live and what I believe uh, and all these things because truth just seems so intrinsically valuable. Why would you want to follow a lie? Um, we're all imperfect humans who carry with us biases and presuppositions. And we have to recognize that I can be like, yeah, truth, man, I'm just following it. I'm crushing it. But in reality, like Isaac, like I'm very imperfect and I have so many biases and presuppositions that are going to affect what I believe and why I believe it. And we have to recognize those presuppositions and try to use them, um, and understand them in our pursuit of our pursuit of truth. So after a friend died, this was after my sophomore year of high school, I had a million questions and no answers. It was the first time in my life where I really thought about like, does God exist? Is heaven real? Things like this. And now I've been studying this for a few years and I have 10 million questions and a couple decent answers, I think. And one of them is like, yes, Christianity is true. Heaven is real. Things like that. And we're going to dive into that. So get excited. So questioning our beliefs should be a common occurrence as seekers of truth. Why would you, the, it, it, someone, I'm pretty sure it's Socrates. Don't, don't, don't like be like, oh, this guy's so uncultured. But someone said like the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, one of those famous ancient Greek philosophers. And um, yeah, I mean, he's totally right. Like we should be questioning our beliefs and examining them and thinking about things and reflecting on our beliefs and reading challenging works. Like I try to be always be reading something that I disagree with. Um, so right now I'm reading, I believe his name is Pab 
Pablo or Paulo Friere, um, which is a really interesting read. Um, it's about like the philosophy of education and stuff like that. So should we believe in God? Who is Jesus? Can we say there's evidence for God? These are questions that I'm really going to push throughout this lecture series as I try to provide arguments to show that, yeah, God exists. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. And yeah, there's evidence for God. And this means that like we should be willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads, even if it leads to conclusion we don't like. So all things being said, I'd encourage you, if you've gotten this far, that you are a truth seeker, you're on board with following truth wherever it leads, and yeah, let's go pursue truth. So section two, what we're going to address now is the question of like, what is truth? We talked about why it matters, but what actually is truth? So a common objection, like I've heard this from friends before, is like, if there's over 3,000 gods, how can we even come to know what is true with regards to like God and religion? Like, don't you, Zach, the Christian, just have like one of the 3,000 gods out there? And what I want to say is that we have to understand there's many theories of truth. And I'm going to throw a bunch at you, but don't worry. It's not like I understand all this stuff. Um, but there's things like the correspondence theory, the coherence theory, realism, pluralism, the deflationary theory, and many, many more. But for me personally, when I think about truth, I really like what Aristotle said. He said that to say of what is that it is or what is not that it is not. So my translation of that is like beliefs are true if they correspond to reality. For example, the claim that Zach Seckler is making a podcast in August is Zach Zeckler's making a podcast in August 2022 is a true claim if it actually corresponds to the world. So if I said that Zach Zeckler is making this podcast in August, 2020, August of 2022, that's a false claim because I'm actually making it in September of 2022. I'm just really behind. And I was hoping to have this recorded in August, but it's actually September when I'm doing this. So yeah, but the same thing could be extended to God. Like if I say that God exists and that claim actually corresponds to the world we live in and that God actually exists in this world, then that claim is true. And there's a true claim right there. So I think that's sort of the foundation of trying to understand like what is truth. It's something that corresponds to the actual world. So this would be known as something like the correspondence theory. All right, section three, why does truth matter? So we hinted at this, but there's questions like, is the existence of God even relevant? Why can't we just like live our life and do what we want? It doesn't seem like this like God thing is making much of an impact in like our daily life. Um, though I do need God to really step up for Leeds United because we're kind of struggling right now. Um, but here's, here's why truth matters beyond Leeds United. So First, you're going to die, and the truth can impact what happens after death. You know, different views of things would say that, like, hey, you would have to be following maybe a particular religious tradition, like certain models of Christianity. And if not, that's going to impact what happens to you after death. Second, we generally just live our lives based off of what we think is true. Um, we explore because we think understanding the world is good. That's why some explorers are good. Or maybe they thought, like, getting gold is good because it's going to make me happy. So different things like that. We pursue like say relationships with other people because we think that that's going to make us happy having those relationships. Finally, truth is just valuable in and of itself. It's a beautiful thing and it's just worth discovering. Truth is so good. It's so beautiful. Um, and like the more I just ponder and think about like what is true, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And like some of these like podcast conversations I've had, like I just walk away from them. I'm like, dang, this is just so cool to think about these things. And like, wow, that actually happened or that's actually like a good idea. I'm just like, it just gets me thinking and I just love that. And obviously I think the most valuable thing you could come to know is God. Um, God is a perfect being with no, like no imperfections, no limitations, nothing like that. So knowing God, just like a absolutely perfect being is something that's just incredible. And if it's true, it's worth knowing like whatever the cost, in my opinion. So section four, how do we know what's true? We talked about like the beauty of truth and why it matters. Then like, how do we get into like the nitty gritty work of actually trying to understand like what is true? So it seems to me 
at least epistemically possible that we could be living in the matrix. Maybe this like computer is an illusion. This podcast is an illusion. Maybe there's like some dude, um, some alien out there that actually put in your brain that you're watching this podcast and you just like, you're actually dreaming right now. And yeah, maybe you actually aren't actually believing <laughs> you actually aren't watching this podcast. You just think you are. So these things are at least epistemically possible. So how can we rule them out? I really like Michael Humer and like Phil's um, phenomenal conservatism. So he says that like, if it seems to S that P, then in the absence of defeaters, S thereby has at least some degree of justification for believing that P. So for example, if it's intuitively obvious that the external world exists, then there is some sort of justification for the reality of the external world. So since you like have this intuitively obvious belief that like, yeah, there's no alien just like plugging memories into my brain of me listening to this podcast, that's some degree of justification to show that like, yeah, you actually are listening or watching to this podcast right now. And it's on the burden of someone saying like, hey, it's actually an alien to actually provide some sort of like really good reason to think that it's the alien rather than just your intuitive seeming of the world. So I think that's a really, obviously there's objections and counter objections, da, 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 but I think it's just a really like um, grounded account of just explaining why, how we can come to know something because phenomenal conservatism says we can know something about the world just by trusting our seemings about the world. So, but obviously the question then becomes, how can we go further? There's a lot of things like say the existence of God that are very controversial and that's where it's, we have to kick into some more tools. So there's three famous laws um, that are like the basic laws of like thought or logic. The first one is like the law of identity. This is going to help us discover truth. It's basically just that something is equivalent to itself. For example, A is equivalent to A. A rose is a rose. Object B is object B, not object C, D, or E. You are you. You're not a cow, a table, unless cows can listen to podcasts. And if you are, then sorry. Um, or me, like you're you. Um, and this applies to God. We can just say that like God is God. Um, some God is just God. And that's going to help us understand that like, we aren't God. Um, so yeah, the law of identity is super helpful. Um, then there's the law of non-contradiction, which says that like two contradictory propositions can't be true at the same time. So for example, if I say that God exists in our world, then the claim that God does not exist in our world would be false because it's a contra it contradicts that statement, God exists in our world. So this is helpful when we can't say like, you can't be like, oh, um, God exists and God doesn't exist because that's going to derive a contradiction, which kind of plays into like the law of the excluded Luna. So this says that either a proposition is true or its negation is true. So for example, either Jesus rose from the dead or Jesus did not rise from the dead. It's like there's no middle ground here. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. Like those are the two options and one of them is true and like that's that. So it's going to remove that space for absence of belief. And I understand like at times it's rational to withhold judgment. But when I'm looking at questions like the truth of Christianity or any religion um, or like God's existence, we're going to pretty much always fall into like either it's true or it's not. And we have to look at the reasons to think it's true and the reason to think that it's not. Okay, section five, how can we discover truth? So what I want to do is talk about a few tools that we can use to try to understand what is true. So first is, first is the tool of reason. This is our ability to think and make judgments about the world. So this is like astrophysics, philosophy, cooking. They all champion reason. Reason is so a part of our world that we don't even like think about that we're using it so often. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it, it fills our world. We can construct arguments that lead to conclusions. So for example, like premise one, all men are mortals. Premise two, Socrates is men. Um, and the conclusion is therefore Socrates is mortal. That's just like follows from the premises um, and there's a conclusion. And you can't deny the conclusion that Socrates is mortal without denying a premise. So you can just use like, logical arguments to argue you can use evidential arguments 
And then we're also just like thinking about things like in our daily life. Like I don't think anyone's like cooking up syllogisms to try to figure out how to make like apple pie. <laughs> um, but we can think about like, hey, and make judgments about, hey, if I put too much sugar in it, then, ooh, that's not going to be good for this apple pie. We don't just kind of like throw things together and see what happens. Um, we're using reason when we cook or do other things. So arguments are an important part of reason, but they're not like all encompassing the only thing um, that comes to reason. And obviously, if, like for the relevance of this, you can like make arguments that are going to lead to the conclusion that like God exists or God does not exist. And that's the relevance in this lecture series. Okay, second is the cool, the tool of experience. So you are a conscious agent who can perceive the world and make foundational judgments, such as the reality of the external world. So this is similar to like phenomenal conservatism where like you are you and you have your own life experiences. Like I can't step into your shoes and know exactly um, what's going on in your life. Like your experiences are going to impact who you are. And our intuitions about the world play a powerful part in our understanding of the world. Um, intuitions can just play a role in our belief in God. Or maybe you say like, I just intuitively, like, I just don't feel God. I don't think there's any reason to believe in God. And those intuitions are valuable because it helps us kind of like lay a foundational layer of like what you think about the world. So your intuitions and your experiences are super, super important because it's going to help form and make our judgments. And if you deny the reality of like your experiences and forming beliefs, um, I just say be careful because they do play an important role in your beliefs. And even if you think that you've like you've totally avoided um, experiences from your like rational judgments, then that's a warning that you might have fallen a little bit too biased, maybe. So the third tool is the tool of science. So science is a powerful tool that's led to many discoveries. Obviously, we could talk about the scientific method and things like the Big Bang or the details of life. Science is so important. Um, and it's a great tool to help us understand like the natural world. And scientific discoveries have also been used to build cases for and against God. I'm going to use science a little bit throughout this series, but I'm just not an expert. So I try to like um, stay away from it because I'm just like, hey, there's really a lot of mystery. And when I do science, I'm going to say like, hey, this is what it seems like. But obviously, you know, I could be wrong. I'm just not a scientist. Okay, so section six, is science the only way to truth? So a lot of people, especially online, will talk about a view like scientism. This is the idea that only through the tools of science can truth be discovered. People will say something like the explanation goes no deeper than, the, than that of the natural sciences, which is a different view than naturalism. So like explaining things like consciousness or morality or things like this, it, under like a scientific view of the world, it's really those explanations are no deeper than like the physics and chemistry and things like that. So I think that this is there's many problems with this view and a lot of people do as well. But if you're going to say that like only through science can we discover truth. And this is like saying not, not that science is the best tool, but that science is the only tool. Um, that's self-defeating because it's going to rely on philosophical presumptions. You can't just like go like study more chemistry and come up to the conclusion that scientism is true. Um, <laughs> that just that just can't happen. Um, it has to be done through philosophy. And if you have to use philosophy, then scientism is false because that's another method um, through which truth can be discovered. And in premise two, like proponents of scientism are going to have to rely on experiences such as like the reality of the external world. It can't be proven through science. You can't prove through chemistry or physics that you're not some like brain in a vat. Like there's nothing in science. There's no scientific tool that can help you do that. Um, so yeah, that's some problems with scientism is it self-defeating. And then you're going to have to rely on other tools like experiences, which can't be like scientifically proven. Okay, then. So I wanted to add this. This is like soft scientism. Um, so let's say something like scientific certainty or near certainty is required to accept a proposition. Um, it's similar to the idea of like in the absence of extraordinary evidence, we should not claim that God exists according to a view like this. So what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about sci soft scientism, is kind of the view that like, if we want to say that God exists, we really need like some sort of like groundbreaking discovery in like chemistry or physics or something like that to conclude that God exists. 
And what I want to say is like that if this view holds, uh, one problem is that we're going to be thrown into solipsism because we have no way of verifying the reality of other minds. You cannot have access to another person's mental states. So if you think about like someone else's consciousness, like think about like maybe like your mom or your partner or something like this, you don't have access to their mental states. You can point to all the brain states you want, um, but those aren't their mental states, like this like phenomena of consciousness. Um, that's just that. So if you're going to say that only through science we can accept um, certain like big claims or something like this, then like there's no good reason to think that like other people are conscious because like where's the scientific study? Um, like where's the chemistry pointing to like the existence of that consciousness? And again, like we'd have to do that distinction where you say, well, there's the brain states and they cause the mental states. Well, like, well, there's the problem right there is like you have the brain states, but you don't have the mental states. And we could get in all kinds of different arguments about like consciousness and things like this. But to me, like this is a really big problem. Like if you're going to be a soft, um, hold a soft scientism and really push um, that like for God, we need some like groundbreaking discovery in like chemistry or physics like this. One of the things I'm going to do is probably push back and say like, where's that same exact discovery for other people's like conscious experience. So that's kind of the, one of the problems I see with soft scientism is that right there. Then I also think that like, this doesn't mean like the theist doesn't have to do anything. So I think that the theist is still going to have to provide evidence, but not near certainty um, to show that like God exists. My task is to show that the existence of God is more reasonable than the non-existence of God. So anytime I do like a debate or anything like this, I try to like hold like two criteria, simplicity and explanatory power. And I'm going to say which view of things is going to be like a more simpler view and which view explains more of the data. I want to do the same thing with God. I'm not going to say like there's some like bulletproof case that God exists and we can pack up and go home. Like if you're hoping for that in this series, oof, uh, you're going to be in for a long ride. But I do think like as the theist, like it's my job to show like, yeah, there's really good reason to think God exists based off these certain observations. And then, yeah, like I think theism is a very simple view. And like that's the kind of case I'm going to make throughout this lecture series. Okay, so just to review, in section one, we talked about introducing this project and talked about the importance of truth and why it matters. In section two, we talked about what is truth, something that corresponds to reality. In section three, I talked about why truth matters um, for a variety of reasons. But just think about truth is just beautiful. And there's something really, really great about coming to know truth. In section four, we talked about how do we know what's true. We talked about things like the laws of identity, um, the law of non-contradiction, the law of excluded middle. We also talked about how we can discover truth for different tools like reason and science and experience. And we wrap things up saying that science is not the only way to truth. There's many problems with scientism, like it's being self-defeating. And yeah, that's that. In video two, we're going to be arguing for foundation. If you, um, I encourage you to check that playlist down below and you can just follow along with this whole lecture series and listen to it in one run, um, treating this a little bit like an audio book. And yeah, that's that. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a God bless and have a God bless. God bless. And we'll see you in video two. So peace.